Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. He konai purangi te nei na te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Seeing their mindsets change, like knowing that they can, they can create change, and then them starting to brainstorm and figure out other ideas and ways they can do things. When kids come to me and bring me, I usually on a daily basis get several insects or butterflies, say injured or just what is this? Have a look at this that they've brought from home. Different dead creatures that we can look under the microscope. Ah, just seeing the sparkle in their eyes about learning, and that's what it's all about. If you can do that as a teacher, then you've done your job well. Kia ora, hello, and welcome to our changing world. Core Clerk and Canon Thane. It's Prime Minister's Science Prizes time, and that was the voice of Bianca Wojak, winner of the 2021 Science Teacher Prize. Today I speak with Bianca and some of the other winners, including Professor Dame Jane Harding, who leads the Neonatal Glucose Studies team, awarded the main prize. This team has been working on diagnosing, treating and preventing blood sugar imbalances in babies. Changing practice, making a difference to babies and families is really what we're all about. By just doing the studies, we've made a difference to how many babies are looked after because We've changed the way hospitals think about glucose levels, how they measure blood glucose levels. We will hear a bit more from Jane later, and from the Future Scientist Prize winner, Carol Kaur. But first, I travelled to Burnside Primary School in O Tautahi Christchurch to meet with Bianca and some of her students. My passion is working with the environment and also I wanted to make science relevant. For me, there's no point doing a random experiment if you can't connect it to anything. Bianca won the prize for her success engaging the students across a wide range of environmental-based activities, both on the school grounds and on local field trips. The huge advantage is as soon as you get kids outside, uh, a lot of them that maybe were switching off in the classroom they come alive and they want to get their hands dirty. They want to learn about the creatures and they get inspired to learn. And the really cool thing is then when they go back to class, then they have something to write about. So it's influencing all the other subjects as well. But I find hands-on learning, it's the best way for kids to learn about science in primary schools in these early years and to get them passionate. And um, they won't even realise that they're doing maths and doing writing because you're doing it through science and you're doing practical activities. But, hey, they'll have to take some notes and we'll have to do a few maths problems to solve how big should this habitat space be and things like that. Led by Bianca, the children have done a staggering number of projects, including water testing, riparian planting, flax weaving, beekeeping, waste management, bird monitoring, predator trapping and growing and cooking their own food. This is guided by the cultural narrative that the school worked on with Mana Fenua, one that outlines their goals, including bringing back native biodiversity to school grounds. And this approach has been helped by the specific role that Bianca has in the school. 
basically I've got the amazing position and it's really unique for a primary school to have of being a science expert teacher across from years one to six. So my whole role is to bring the sciences into classrooms. So primary school teachers get two days CRT, which is like release days, um, a term, which definitely isn't much. Uh, and I go and take their class and I run my own science programs. So I'm really fortunate to get to do lots of cool stuff with kids. And um, the school is really fortunate that my principal had the foresight to put this position in because it's meant that we can achieve amazing things in science. One of the projects that the students are particularly excited and proud of is the B5 project. Burns brains back, butterflies. I've been heading our curriculum towards student action projects. So what we do is we'll identify together something like, oh, here's our um, local stream. And then we will look at... Um, a whole lot of information to do with it and then we will go okay now what what do you want to do about this so then students can decide themselves what direction they want to take things so for example with our boulder butterfly project that was all um, a catalyst from the students wanting to find out more so we were looking around we were learning about insects and students had in previous years been tagging monarch butterflies and we talked about how monarchs are a self-introduced supported species. So without us planting the swan plants, they would not be able to do their full life cycle here and live here. And so then they said, hey, um, do we actually have any endemic native butterflies in Canterbury? And so luckily at the time we were doing tremendous with Rude Kleinplast and he's now um, a really good friend and mentor of mine. And um, the kids asked him, do we have any native or endemic butterflies here? And so he got talking to Brian Patrick, who's a butterfly expert, and they told us about the boulder copper butterfly, which is actually an undescribed species and one that used to be prevalent all through the Canterbury Plains, but now due to habitat loss is only found sparingly in a few places. And so then the kids decided they wanted to do something about it. So I very much see my role as I'm a, like a facilitator. I'm there to help the kids go in what direction they want to go in. So this whole project has been through them pushing it and them deciding what way to go. So what am I looking at here? Do you want to tell me? So this is the B5 garden. So B5 stands for Burnside Brings Back Boulder Butterfly. So we've got... Well, there's some fencing here. There's some chain fencing to keep people out. And then on the inside, what's in there? There's some rocks and then different plants. So on the inside um, is where the butterflies live. And the plants that are there are called Merlinbechia axillaris. And that's what the caterpillars and the eggs live on until they're butterflies. And they also, the butterflies live there we created what we call a test patch garden to see if we could get the habitat right and see if we could get the species to reproduce here on site. And so we did that. We um, translocated the butterflies over here after building this habitat. And then months later, because they only are butterflies themselves for about two, three weeks, we saw the re-emergence of the butterfly. So we knew that we had done it successfully. 
It doesn't look like there's many butterflies here today. Can somebody describe to me what the butterfly looks like? It, the males have purple on their wings. And purple? But still have copper. And the females are completely copper, no purple at all. Then from there they thought, well, why have this just at our school? Let's let's push this out to other schools and areas. So we've got a satellite school now out in Sumner and we're also now working with Arana Park that's out near the airport where the kids are creating a huge habitat there so then people can come and learn about the butterflies. So that was all through kids going, hey, how else can we get the word out there? This is a little patch of plants for the butterflies. But I hear that you guys have plans for something else. What's the next plan for the butterflies? Um, so once we, everybody moves into the new school, which is um, behind us getting built right now. Yeah, we can hear it. <laughs> um, the junior block will get um, demolished and then we will make a really, really big garden full for the boulder coppers and also for other native and endemic butterflies and maybe lizards. The butterfly patch isn't the only thing that they have on school grounds. My guided tour has a couple of other stops. So we've got two beehives at school and I don't think the bees are going to be doing much this morning. Why do you think the bees aren't doing much? Because it's windy and cold. Yeah. In the native garden we planted some native trees so like some native reds might come. These are the orchard trees and we've got apple trees, pear trees, plum trees. We have a veggie garden and every maybe two weeks we use it to make food like muffins mm. and each time we use a special ingredient. It's hard to miss that background construction noise, but the work happening means exciting new plans for Bianca. They're lucky to have a large area already, and they hope to do lots of things with the old school side when they move into their new school next door, hopefully next year. Right now we're expanding our forest site, so we're bringing back a whole lot of native trees and birds to the area and insects. And so we're expanding that out, and the whole idea is that kids in their lunchtimes can play in there and experience um, what it's like to be in a mini forest, a mini bush area. We're also building a massive boulder copper habitat and that one excitingly is going to be about 10 times bigger than the current one but also we're going to have five endemic butterflies and two endemic day flying moths in that area and then the hope is once we've got those established we can bring in skinks and lizards and things like that. And obviously we have to keep our pest control and trapping to make sure that happens. And also we are trying to build a science excellence centre. So our, the ministry isn't building us a hall space in our new school. So our old hall area that's looking a bit worse for wear and needs to be upgraded, uh, we want to convert that into a community space and a science centre as well. And so part of the prize money is going to go towards um, doing up that area. And then we're hoping we can invite other schools in so when they come and look at 
how to run environmental projects, they can come to our school and see what's going on. And yeah, our hope is to get like solar panels on the roof, have rain collection, have bees living like in one of the walls and yeah, do a whole heap of crazy, cool, fun stuff. So that's the plan for the prize money that Bianca has won for the school, which Principal Matt Bateman is on board for, because he can see the positive impact on attendance that this approach to science is having. If you only focus on reading, writing and maths, it can be boring for quite a few students. So um, broadening the curriculum, getting them outside the classroom, giving them good context for writing and reading, it's a really good way for a lot of children to want to learn and want to be at school. So yeah, our attendance rates... um, Kids want to be here because they, they find that they, they can be passionate about what's happening. So um, our attendance rates and, our, and as a result of that, if, if kids are here more, their, their, their achievement rates for, for reading, writing and maths improve. So it's had all those good outcomes. I'm absolutely stoked for Bianca. I think it's you know phenomenal. And we wouldn't have got to this point without someone that's inspirational like she is with um, teachers and parents and children. We've had children that have left the school, living in other parts of the country that still contact uh, the school and see how we're going and they're still enthusiastic about science and, and I think that's the big winner for me to know that some of our children now that are at Burnside High School are really still passionate about science. My favourite part uh, about science would probably be in being outside and having fun and um, learning all about all the native species around the school. How does it feel to be recognised by the Prime Minister's Science Prize? Oh, it's amazing um, to be, especially a primary school teacher, to be recognised. And, yeah, just for somebody or an organisation to look at what we're doing and clearly see the worth of what we're doing. Because we know what we're doing here is great and cool. Like, we can see the effects with the children and how excited they get. And, um, yeah, so it's just really cool to be recognised from the outside with that as well. What are these flowers? Oh, they're edible. edible flowers. Yeah, edible flowers. What are they yeah, taste you like? Are you going to eat mushroom? They're not too bad. You put them in a the salad. What if there was just a bug in there? Well, then it's extra protein, right? There was a bug in mine. Big congratulations to Bianca Woyak, 2021 Prime Minister's Science Teacher Prize winner. And thanks also to Burnside Primary School Principal Matt Bateman and to students Julie, Nina, Anihira, Ruben, Phoebe, Louis and Kaigo. Now, each year, one of the Prime Minister's Science Prizes, the Future Scientist Prize, is awarded to a Year 12 or Year 13 student who has undertaken an outstanding research project. Scooping this award for 2021 is 16-year-old Carol Corr, who's actually a student at Burnside High School. I caught up with her where she's been doing her science mahi at the University of Otago's Centre for Free Radical Research in Christchurch. Firstly, I should say congratulations. We are here because you're being awarded the Prime Minister's Science Prize. How are you feeling about that? Super honoured and stoked. Really humbling. And I think the prize is a great encouragement for me to continue doing this work. And really thankful to everyone that supported me throughout the journey. Carol has been researching how to improve drug treatments for skin cancer. We have the highest rates of melanoma, one of the highest rates of melanoma in the world. So I think it's 
particularly close to heart, and I've um, had people approach me with melanoma um, previously, and they've been really interested in the research that's going on behind the scenes. Although I'm no certainly no expert on the actual disease itself, but it's really cool to be involved in conversations with people that has experience with the disease. Can you give a bit of an overview of what your research has been about? My research works with um, this cancer-specific drug, it's called vamirafenib, that targets um, mutant cancer cells, which are cancer cells with a specific mutation, but patients can develop resistance to these common treatments, so these drugs. And my research works with another compound. This one's not cancer cell-specific, but um, together with the cancer cell-specific drug, we found a significant increase in the cancer cell death which is beneficial because then we can potentially combine the two drugs to develop a better treatment. Carol's mentors are Professor Mark Hampton and PhD student Tess Featherston. With Tess, we head downstairs to where the action really happens. Uh, So we are in the lab which we did most of our work, so that's um, the cell culture-based lab. And we have the hypoxic chamber over there where we store the cells at 5% oxygen level, so which is the same as our physiological <laughs> oxygen levels in the body. So a lot of the work that you were doing was working on cells. A cancer cell line? Yeah, that's the um, New Zealand metastatic melanoma cell lines. So they are derived from um, New Zealand patients and cultured with us so we can use them for experiments and so on. What kind of experiments were you doing on the cells? So for my project I worked with two different types of drugs and I treated the cells with the types of drugs and measured their response. So to measure the response I did two different assays. So those are cell viability assays which measures the survival of the cells and we try to uh, find a drug or the drug combination that yielded the most kill rate for the cancer cells. So was any of this equipment that you were using or the techniques that you were using, was any of this familiar to you or you were all starting from scratch? Yeah, it's actually not taught in schools, um, but when I first came here, Tess was really kind to show me around and it was really cool to learn all the specialist equipment and I guess that's what the experience I wanted to gain. Was there a particular practical aspect in this lab that you enjoyed more than others? The culturing of the cells, I think that was a really cool aspect because I'm not sure if um, you find it surprising, but I find culturing cancer cells is actually really cool. Like I don't expect that to be part of my project I get to work with cancer cells. Yeah. And you have to take care of them, right? You have to kind of mind yeah. the cells. This, um, we described it as kind of parenting for the cancer cells because you have to uh, swap their media. So media is what we grow the cells in every week. And you have to passage them, which is to split the cells so they don't go too crowded. Once they get too crowded, they kind of pop off, so they die off. So it's quite a tedious and delicate process working with the cancer cells. The hypoxic chamber that Carol mentions is this enclosed box with a clear front in two large rubber gloves inside. This is where the cells are stored in a 37 degree incubator and where Carol ran her experiments. Though it's not quite at the right height for her. The thing about it is that I am shorter in stature, so we have that (laughs) 
um, platform. So whenever you go into oh, there, you I put yeah. yeah, you stand on the platform, you put your hands into the gloves, the big gloves, and then you work from there. So that's most of the work was done in the hypoxic chamber. So. Did that and take a while start, to get used to, yeah, having those big gloves? You start sweating <laughs> and you get your um, big masks on because of the pandemic. So um, we were able to manipulate the cells in there without actually them contacting the environment on the outside. So that was really, that was one thing I really enjoyed. And Tess, how has it been for you having Carol in the lab? It's been a really interesting experience. I've really enjoyed the teaching aspect. I mean, Carol's a prime student she's great easy to teach and um, takes things out really quickly but it's really cool to I mean I work on this project I've been working on it for a few years now and it's cool to see someone come in with fresh eyes and a different perspective and asking questions that I wouldn't usually ask and it actually makes me think a lot as well as my supervisors so it's been a breath of fresh air really to have her in the lab as well. With Tessa's help Carol has shown that combining the cancer drug vermorafenib with the antioxidant inhibitor ranofin leads to an increase in melanoma cancer cell death in her experiments. Back in the office, Carol explains what comes next, because she is keen to continue her work. So after what I've done, the results have opened more questions which I want to answer. So some of them include whether with different combinations of different drugs apart from oranofin, which is the drug I used last year, could produce similar results. So there are different drugs out there that increase the oxidative stress levels and we could look at combining those with the um, vemrefinib, which is the commonly used drug for melanoma treatment and see if that also produces a higher cell kill, kill rate or even a better result than what we've explored. And how does that fit in with your research in terms of your PhD? Yeah, so the project that um, Carol is working on forms a part of my PhD. It's a very similar field to what I'm working with. And so we work together and we try and produce results that will go into my thesis as well. And the goal is at the end of the um, year that we'll have some form of publication with Carol's name on it, which for a high school student to have a published paper is pretty impressive. (laughs) It's really impressive, as is Carol's level of knowledge and commitment to the research. With the prize, she has won $50,000 to go towards tertiary education. The work, she says, has opened her eyes to the extent of science research and has got her thinking about the future. Usually people, when they talk about science, they think medicine, which is what I feel like general education at school has conditioned students to think about. But it's a really diverse field from what I've learned. Um, Cancer research, which was one thing I really wanted to do since young. I think this is a really good opportunity for me to start delving in to what is possible for me to go into once I leave high school. Congratulations and thanks to Carol Core, And thanks also to Tess Featherston, PhD student at the Centre for Free Radical Research at the University of Otago, Christchurch. Congratulations also to the other prize winners. You'll no doubt be familiar with Toby Morris's excellent COVID-19 illustrations, which helped a global audience understand some of the key scientific concepts around the pandemic. Toby has been awarded the 2021 Science Communication Prize. 
The Emerging Scientist Prize went to Dr Gemma Geegan of the University of Otago and ESOR. Gemma's research interests are understanding the true diversity of viruses that exist, as well as the evolution of viruses and how and why viruses jump to new hosts. She also played a key role in the genome sequencing of COVID-19 cases in Aotearoa through her work with ESOR. Gemma's fascinating research into viruses is the focus of an upcoming Our Changing World episode, so be sure to keep an ear out for it. But back to the main science prize. The multidisciplinary team who've been awarded the prize have been researching in the area of blood sugar imbalance in babies for over two decades. Leading this team is Professor Dame Jane Harding of the Liggins Institute at the University of Auckland. I caught up with her briefly over the phone. We've been focused on low blood sugar levels in babies. That's hypoglycemia. Low blood sugar levels are really common in babies and we've been looking at uh, do they matter? What happens to babies that had low sugars? How do we test for low sugars? How do we treat low sugars? And does this make a difference? What's the prevalence of low blood sugars in babies? We think in overall about one in six babies born have a low blood sugar if you go looking for it and checking for it carefully enough. So that's a lot of babies. It's a pretty common problem. And what are the potential risks? Why would we be concerned about low blood sugar? We know that some babies, if the low sugars are low enough, then that can cause brain injury. And that can be anything from very mild to really very severe, including seizures. What is more difficult is to know in which babies how low the sugars have to be for how long for that to cause a problem. And that's one of the things that makes this area so so complicated and, and important to look at. What impacts in the area of care for these babies have your research findings had? Well, so far, I think probably the thing that has been the most obvious difference is the use of of dextrose gel, the sugar gel, to treat low glucose levels. It's become the, the first line treatment for babies with low sugar levels in most of New Zealand and Australia and indeed in many, many places around the world. And that's happened reasonably quickly as as medicine goes. Medicine, medicine is often very conservative and it takes a long time to adopt a new treatment. But this one's really been adopted very quickly. And the nice thing about that is that because it's a, a simple and inexpensive intervention, it's easy to adopt in lots of places. And it not only improves the blood sugar levels, but it actually helps keep babies with their mothers, not going to intensive care, and increase breastfeeding. So there's lots of pluses to that. And that's been very exciting to see that picked up and taken up as a a standard treatment around the world. As a researcher, I mean, that's what you're looking for, right? That your research is impactful, that it's you're finding clear enough answers to questions that will be able to improve the lives of these babies and the mothers going forward. But on top of that, how does it feel for this work to be recognised by the Prime Minister's Science Prize? You're right. Changing, Changing practice, making a difference to babies and families is really what we're all about. 
by just doing the studies, we've made a difference to how many babies are looked after because we've changed the way hospitals think about glucose levels, how they measure blood glucose levels. We've been able to change practice along the way, and we hope all those things will make a difference as well. But to have the work recognised in this way at a national level is really stunning. We're, we're overwhelmed and incredibly honoured. The other thing that I'm personally very thrilled about with this prize that it's a team award because none of these studies are done by one person or even a handful of people. It really does take a, a team of people and those have been named have been sort of key in leading the stuff but there's a much bigger team behind that of course and they will deserve credit for this prize and that's what's so exciting about it. What are the questions that you want to address next? There are always more questions. One of the things that we still haven't solved really is this issue about the relationship between how low for how long and which babies makes a difference. We still think there's a lot more work to be done on that, better ways of measuring sugar, better ways of measuring brain function. We think that there are better ways to treat babies who have a low sugar that doesn't respond straight away to the sugar gels. And one of the things we're we're going to work on over the next little while is also to take all of the work that we and others have done so far and build the evidence together into a national best practice guideline. The prize comes with half a million dollars. I mean, you've just listed quite a lot of different questions. Is there something in particular that you have in mind for spending that money on? And we've agreed that the priority at the moment is the the national guideline, assembling all of the evidence around low sugars in babies and preparing a, a national guideline that's going to be robust and evidence-based and help guide practice for the foreseeable future. And that's our primary focus. Thanks and congratulations to Professor Dame Jane Harding of the Liggins Institute and to all of the Neonatal Glucose Studies team. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon. Thanks to Justin Gregory for help with this episode. Sound engineering was by William Saunders. Tim Watkin is the executive producer of Podcasts and Series at RNZ. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find and follow Our Changing Worlds on your favourite podcast platform. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld for more photos and links and videos of the Prime Minister's Science Prize winners. And you can also access the Our Changing World back catalogue of episodes there and sign up to our monthly newsletter. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter. Find us at RNZ Science. Did you know that RNZ has a whole range of awesome award-winning podcasts? Just last week, two more were nominated as finalists in the Voyager Media Awards for this year. Check out Let's Be Transparent and Black Sheep. You can find both of them on the RNZ website or on your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai to wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.